You're listening to Emirates World with your host, Steve Harvey. I hope your flight on Emirates is going well today. This is the podcast channel devoted to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. So it'll come as no surprise, I guess, to learn that our guests today are authors who are scheduled to appear at the festival, which takes place in Dubai the first week of March. So high time to introduce our next guest, Claire McIntosh. Claire's debut novel, I Let You Go, has sold more than a million copies worldwide and won the Thinkston's Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year. In case you're wondering, by the way, Thinkston's Old Peculiar is a beer. Not one to hang about, Claire followed up her early success with the second crime novel, I See You, and now she's back again with her third novel, Let Me Lie. So, Claire, welcome to Emirates World. And uh, will this be your first appearance at the Litfest in Dubai? It will, and my first visit to Dubai. So I'm incredibly excited. What are you looking forward to seeing and doing during your visit to Dubai? I'm really looking forward to meeting other authors and ideally to going to some of their events because you never stop learning when you're a writer. Uh, And I'm always fascinated by finding out how other authors approach their books and perhaps picking up a few tips. I'm also desperate to ride a camel. I don't know if that can be arranged, but that's that's my uh, bucket list. (laughs) I'm sure that can be arranged. Now, you live with your family in North Wales. I mean, what could possibly tempt you to jump on an Emirates flight and spend a week in Dubai in early March? (laughs) When I could be in rainy rainy Wales. Yes, uh, it's it's going to be a wrench to tear myself away, obviously. Um, I I actually, you know, we joke a lot about the rain in Wales, but we live in a very beautiful, very green part of the country. And it wouldn't be so beautiful and so green if it wasn't for all the rain that we have. But I do confess it will be nice to have a little bit of warmth. How long have you lived there? I've been in North Wales now for two years. So it was a uh, one of those midlife crisis um, accidental moves that one occasionally hears about. Um, looked online, found a house, fell in love uh, and moved. Uh, all happened very, very quickly. But I don't regret it in the slightest. It's a beautiful place to live and uh, the children are very happy. Did the family have any say in this or was it your decision? Well, I I do feel slightly guilty about the fact that I suppose the children who were very young at the time, so they were nine, eight and eight, didn't have any say about it at at all. Um, But then how much say do nine and eight year olds have in in where they live? You know, it's really a, a parental decision. But they're very happy. They speak fluent Welsh now and they spend all their time in the lake in town and uh, making dens in the woods. So it's all worked out well. I was going to say, have you embraced Welsh culture? Very much so. So I'm learning Welsh. I speak as much Welsh as I can. Dwi'n siarad Cymraeg. And uh, the, I have to, because otherwise I can't help the children with their homework, which is all in Welsh. Um, and I go to lots of Welsh events, um, literary events and uh, music um, gigs, which is really fantastic. Now, a lot of people, when they take a long haul flight, before they get on board the plane, they visit the airport bookshop. So chances are they may even have one of your books sitting on their lap right now reading for the flight. But just in case they haven't, do you want to just give us um, a, a quick overall view of your latest novel, Let Me Lie? Yeah, absolutely. So it's the story of Anna, who's a new mother who is struggling to come to terms with the fact that both her parents took their own lives the year previously. And we join Anna when she's got a six-week-old baby. It's the anniversary of her mother's suicide. And she receives an anonymous note that suggests that all is not quite as it seemed. Now, for Anna, who has never believed that her parents would take their own lives, this is the confirmation she needed that her parents were murdered. So she sets out to prove that. 
The person she finds to help her is Murray McKenzie, a retired police officer now working as a civilian at the police station. And he starts to look into the case and uh, discovers that indeed things are a little less straightforward than they appeared. It's a psychological thriller. It's packed with twists. And I had a lot of fun writing it. It sounds intriguing. And it just so happens that you yourself are a retired police officer. Is there any coincidence there? I am. It's uh, well, in fact, I think retired is probably pushing it. Uh, makes me feel terribly old, and I'm I'm uh, only forty two. So uh, I, I did, but I did leave. I left the police after twelve years. Um, to become a, a full-time writer. Um, and certainly those those 12 years have given me a, an enormous amount of um, research, I suppose, for, for my novels. It's, it's less about taking real-life stories and using them in my novels and more about the fact that as a police officer and particularly as a detective, what you are is a storyteller. So you're finding the story in amongst the confusing tale that the victim is trying to tell you. You're speaking to myriad witnesses and working out who's telling the truth and who isn't, what's a useful account and what isn't. So you're pulling together the threads of a story and then presenting them in a compelling way to an audience. Now, back then, my audience was a judge and jury or a magistrate, and now my audience are readers, but the process feels very familiar. And presumably you've also got a lot of technical knowledge in terms of police procedures and how lab tests work and all that sort of thing. That helps enormously. And in fact, that was really brought home to me recently because I've just finished writing a book that's not set in a police world. It's set in a, a medical world which is one in which I have no experience. And the level of research that I had to do made me realise just how easy a ride I've had it for my first three novels and how much work there must be for authors who aren't former police officers to write credible crime novels. So I have even more respect for authors like Val McDermott and Mark Billingham because they write so credibly about a world that they've never worked in. Now, I bet there are a load of people listening to us talking right now who are perhaps in a bit of a humdrum job and thinking to themselves, oh, gosh, I'd love to be a writer. How difficult was it to make that transition from working full time as a police officer to becoming an author? Was it an overnight you woke up one day and said, look, I'm fed up with this, I'm going to be an author? Or had you been writing uh, in the evenings and at weekends for many years? So it was a fairly easy transition. No, it wasn't an easy transition. But at the same time, I'm a big believer in taking risks and, and, and following your dreams. So I had always wanted to be a writer and I'd written as a, a child and a teenager and in my 20s. And then gradually real life took over. And the most creative thing I wrote in the police was probably an overtime form. <laughs> um, uh, but but I still had that desire to, to be creative. Um, and I started writing a blog. And that was really the starting point for everything that's happened uh, since. I wrote a blog which gained a, a fairly large following. It was a parenting blog. And I was approached by a regional magazine, Cotswold Life, to write a column. And so I started writing a column for them. And I thought, well, if one magazine will pay me to write a column, then perhaps someone else will pay me to write something. And I pitched a few ideas at newspapers and magazines, got a few commissions and wrote some articles. 
And then the crunch point came when I was preparing for promotion at work and I was getting ready to board for chief inspectors. And as part of the process, I had to do a, they call it a 360 degree assessment process where your colleagues um, all fill out a questionnaire about what it's like to write with you, to, to work with you. And then you, you get your feedback on what you're like. And I read through my report and I was really quite pleased with it. And I took it home to show my husband because it said lots of lovely things about how I was always full of energy and I always had a smile on my face and I always listened and was ready to help. And he said, yeah, this is great. Who is this woman? <laughs> I don't recognize her. And it, it was a real turning point because I realized something that I think a lot of us are guilty of at some point in our working careers, which is that I was putting my work family ahead of my real family. I was saving all the best bits of me for work and leaving my family the dregs. And that wasn't the way I wanted things to be. And so that was the moment that I decided to quit the police. And then it was a question of what on earth can I do that will enable me to still bring home the bacon to, you know, to pay the mortgage. Um, and actually, the only thing I knew how to do was write. So I was earning a tiny amount of money doing the, the freelance writing that I, I was doing. And I thought, well, that that's what I've got to do is step that up. And so then it was a much more clinical approach. And I, I approached it in the same way as I would have approached any other career change. If I'd have decided I was going to leave the police and become a teacher, I would have looked at the steps and followed them and, and hopefully got a job as a teacher. And so I, I just followed that approach. I didn't see it as something unattainable. I learned my craft. I read lots. I perfected my pitches. I had some coaching. And so that was all my freelance work. And at the same time, I started writing my first novel. And then I think I think luck has a lot to do with things. You know, you, you have some very serendipitous moments in life. And I had two or three of those with my first book, which has set me on a, a course um, that I'm very, very lucky to be on. I mean, many aspiring writers, they would give their eye teeth to have their first book published straight away and, and to see it do so well. I mean, did you just get lucky or did you find the right publisher at the right time who was looking for a book just like this? I think I had that perfect storm of events. So I, I think, I hope that the book itself is, is quite good. Um, it certainly had uh, lots of nice reviews. It has a, a unique twist and I think that was really the thing that started to get people talking and so it was the sort of twist that people wanted to discuss and so would tell their friends to read the book so that they could talk about it um, because it had had them shouting at the book or throwing it across the room or, or whatever and so that was a kind of word of mouth thing that really helped the publishers published it brilliantly a, a, a beautiful cover really lovely um, copy to it it was just a, a nice package um, and then it, it just sort of snowballed. I had a, a couple of things that, that definitely helped. It was picked for the Richard and Judy Book Club. Um, it appeared on television a couple of times. And, and all those things just sort of added to the, the snowball effect. Um, but what it did at the same time was give me this tremendous amount of pressure then for my second book and this terrible realisation that, oh my goodness, I've now got to do it all over again. A lot of crime writers uh, that I've interviewed, certainly for this program, um, have invented a series of characters that they can sustain through a whole series of books. 
perhaps with an eye to a television series. Um, are, are you tempted to go down that particular route to actually have some characters, for example, police officers that could appear in a succession of novels? Do you know what? I always said that I I didn't want to write a, a series um, because I hadn't met a character that I wanted to stay with for that length of time. And then when I wrote Let Me Lie, I did meet that character. And so Murray McKenzie, who's who's my detective figure, he's actually not a detective because he's retired, but he is the investigator in Let Me Lie. I f- absolutely fell in love with him. He's um, he's perhaps not your typical detective in that he's um, he, he's retired. He's in his sixties. Um, he's a very sort of gentle uh, guy, um, but he's um, ah, he's very tenacious. And there was something about him that I fell in love with and, and didn't want to say goodbye to him. And so I'm toying with ideas now of, of what I can do to spend a bit more time with Murray McKenzie, but. I, I think it's it's hugely hard to, to write serious crime. I, I look at people like Lee Child and Ian Rankin and the number of stories that they have created out of one character. And uh, I think I, I've still got a, an awful lot to learn from those masters of the craft. Is this character based on a, a real life experience, somebody you know? Sort of. He's based on an amalgamation of lots of older people who I worked with in the police. And I felt very strongly, I still do feel very strongly, that society has a tendency to dismiss people over a certain age. And I, I remember working with somebody who who had come back to work as a civilian. And I, I suppose I was guilty of just putting them in a box as being someone who spent a couple of days coming in and, and you know, faffing around with lost property. And then I remember discovering that they'd done 30 years on the murder squad and had more experience and knowledge and skill than I would ever, ever have. And it was a real uh, wake-up call to me to think a little bit more about the value that people have and, and not to be so judgmental. And so I wanted to write a character like that that uh, was perhaps being a little bit sidelined and who came into his own. You've published so far, as far as I can see anyway, uh, a novel each year for the last three years. You're now working, I believe, on your fourth novel. Are you a very disciplined writer? I mean, you're you're also a mum. You've got kids with uh, everything that entails, supervising the homework and so on and so forth. Are you a very disciplined writer? I try to be. Twitter gets in the way a little bit. I'm terrible for social media. And so I'm, I'm trying very hard to limit the amount of time I, I spend um, chatting on, on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I think I am. I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I have a very structured uh, working life. My husband is the person who um, predominantly cares for the, the children and keeps the house running and makes sure there's milk in the fridge. Um, he works as a, a mountain rescue volunteer. And so he comes and goes um, sa- saving people up mountains. But generally, he's the constant. And I then can work the hours that I need to work. So I pretty much work Monday to Friday from 10 until about five or six. I don't work weekends. I don't work evenings. So it's in that respect, it's it's no different to anyone else's job. Uh, I do quite a lot of traveling with um, book promotions and I'm quite good at, I'm, I'm quite disciplined at writing when I'm away. So I will do things like get on my train and say, right, I've got to do a thousand words on this train journey. Or uh, I can have a glass of wine when I get to the hotel but not until I've done 500 words. And so that sort of thing is is quite motivating for me. 
Claire, it's been wonderful meeting you and talking to you about your books. And on behalf of Emirates, I wish you every success and enjoy your visit to Dubai. Claire, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.